welcome to Game Off Podcast number 25. I'm your host, Andrew, here with... Brent, Arcadia. Hey. Hey. Today we're going to be covering games like, and including, Phoenix Point and Pokemon Sword and or Shield. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Dice Awards and doing our fireside chat. Let's uh, let's jump right into the Dice Awards. Did you watch any of that or, or follow up on any of that, Brent? No, of course not. Did you? So, <laughs> I, I did. I checked them out afterwards. I didn't watch any streams or anything of it. And the thing that really got me was Untitled Goose Game winning Game of the Year. Was that not your favorite game of the year? Best Design Game of the Year? That's That's what I'm trying to understand. That's what I'm trying to understand, because Untitled Goose Game didn't win any other awards. It, it what, won... What well, else the was one, nominated for? I don't know. I'm, I can only see the list of winning. Of what it won. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm blowing up your spot here. Thanks. Uh, but no, it also won, which... Well, we'll get to that in a second. Back up to Game of the Year. It won Game of the Year... It feels to me like a game that's not going to be remembered in five, ten years. And I look at some of the others on the list of Game of the Year winners, stuff like Breath of the Wild, The Last of Us, Journey, Little Big Planet, Half-Life 2, Modern Warfare. Like, these yeah. are all games that had big knock-on effects in the industry. It, they all had... And I don't see Untitled Goose Game as, as having that kind of long-term like watershed moment yeah it's i think they sort of saw the opportunity with the current landscape of games coming out this year because it's sort of a diet year for games like there were a lot of great games this year we've covered Hmm. a lot of great games this year but for the like the last you know seven eight years in a row during this console cycle it's just been like fucking one giant hit one ten pole hit one lightning rod hit. Hell, last year we had God of War and fucking Red Dead 2, which are two borderline perfect games. Right. And then this year, like, it's it's a lot thinner than that, but they're still great games. So I, I have a feeling that they took that opportunity to, like, you know, re- reward an indie game because they had the chance to. And I don't, I don't even mind rewarding the indie game. It just, Untitled Goose Game was such an odd choice to me. Yeah. Yeah, like, l- let's dive into that game because uh, my first impression when i heard that was like oh I, I thought it was a cute game like i played it and i got bored of it immediately and i can sort of feel myself turning negative to the game because now people are saying it's a game of the year and it's not right and it makes me angry that people say that it's not but i don't even hate the game so it's like i it's very very confusing right now it, it's it's like if you told me that something like I don't know, Piku Niku won Game of the Year. Like, there's nothing wrong <laughs> with it. It's a very entertaining game, but it's just it's just a game that came out this year. Yeah. It's not... Uh, it's just, again, looking at that list, I mean, Overwatch had a huge impact on the gaming industry that year and since then with since the then, way that, sure. that it's built up and basically created the way that we look at loot boxes now. Dragon Age Inquisition was huge. Mm-hmm. Skyrim is still a game that's being released every year. Like, these are huge games. Yeah. And just to have Untitled Goose Game in there is like, a, oh, yeah, here's the, the funny goose game you saw a bunch of memes about. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I played that on my phone, I think. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I mean, hell, Slay the Spire came out this year, and it yeah. it was a better indie game than that. Yeah. Outer Wilds <laughs> was, was more likely to have staying power. 
Yeah, and I, that'd be my argument. Like uh, a lot, I, I wasn't one of the people that really liked Outer Wilds, but a lot of people like worship that game. Hmm. They really respect what that brought to the gaming landscape. It wasn't just a, a cute, relaxing game. Like it had a impressive story, an impressive design, and some unique mechanics to the game. It really brought something to the table. Untitled Goose Game. I don't think it had any interesting mechanics. It had no story. Um, and to me, it personally wasn't that fun. I, I still thought it was good enough, but yeah. Some of the other ones, like, I still hate any of the game awards that use the term adventure game because it's a meaningless term. Mm-hmm. Unless you're literally referring to stuff like Obra Din or Monkey Island. Like, yeah. that kind of, there is no combat, there is no quick, you know, um like dexterity reaction mechanics it's all just exploring a narrative yeah i I think the gaming industry sort of came out of the gates using that term wrong because if you said that about a movie you would think a movie like tomb raider or what's another movie like tomb raider the goonies the goonies yeah those are adventure movies but then you have like gaming equivalents like that but that also incorporate combat yeah it's I don't know, I, n- I never liked that term. I was really disappointed with Mario Maker winning Family Game of the Year, if only just because I thought Yoshi's Island... Or Yoshi's Island. Yoshi's oh. Island Express. Y- <laughs> Yoshi's Island... Ex- oh, I wish. No, uh, <laughs> Yoshi's Crafted World and Link's Awakening and Luigi's Mansion were all better games than Mario Maker 2. And it also seems like the most niche of those games. So I don't think many people are like that excited about that game. Like, no, I I, no one was talking about it. It's like I, I, people like that it exists, but no one wanted to play it. Or I shouldn't say the general audience didn't want to play it. No, it, it it has its following of people who really like games where they can build levels and share them with people. Because mm-hmm. like the, it has that kind of adventure mode, but you finish that, and it's if you don't like building levels, this you're right. missing out on half the content of this game. Yeah, yeah, it's like Dreams. Dreams just came out, getting exceptional reviews. I, It's probably a great platform to make games. I don't think anyone's going to be talking about that game as a game of the year next year. No. most of the content's going to be made by the community, and how do you gauge that when you're thinking about games of the year? Right, because then at that point, doesn't like Unity win game of the year? Or yeah. Unreal <laughs> Engine? Like, D- Doesn't IFAP to Spooky Tits win? <laughs> Like because he created the spookiest map. That's that's an actual username I saw today. Is it really? That's yeah. Awesome. Uh, Reddit's a great place. I was very happy to see Sinar Wild Hearts win for best handheld game. That game mm. couldn't get nominated for enough things. On the other side of handheld gaming, Mario Kart Tour wins racing game of the year. That's something's. That's the red flag right there. <laughs> that is the biggest red flag. There wasn't a lot of racing games this year. That usually Forza takes it, and this is the first time that Forza's had a break in a million years. But there were other good games this year, like Grid, Need Dirt. for Speed Heat, Need for Speed Heat. I it, we talked about that one back in episode twenty. Check it out. A cell phone game. <laughs> I, I mean, I played both technically, and I must say, Mario Kart Tour was pretty stupid. Yeah, it's not very good, and it isn't even really an online racing game because it lies. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even want to play it to unlock this enough to unlock the settings because you have to go through like <laughs> four or five missions. And I was like, well, this is bad. 
and then the one that the other thing that really stuck out to me outstanding character performance going to the goose and untitled goose game i think is such a slap in the face to all of the amazing performances that happened this year to just gloss over all of them and give it to the goose instead that what what happened to dice man (laughs) that that is insulting so many people like sweated and worked and went to the studio for hours and trained for this and fucking memorized their lines and they gave it to some creature that honks like they just gave it to the creature too like is this category for people typically is dice just one big meme factory like what the fuck Uh, no because like christopher judge won it for kratos Last year, I mean, you've got like Camilla Luddington won it for uh, Tomb Raider in 2015. Troy Baker, Ashley Johnson won it for The Last of Us. Like these are real memorable performances, things that people yeah. talk about. So, uh, as far as I can tell, the goose only makes one sound, and that's honk. Mm-hmm. And that's that's now in the list of this prestigious group of people. Yep. If you want to talk about um, best performances in games, you've got. Things like Stephen Fry narrating Little Big Planet, Stephen Merchant in Portal Two doing an amazing job, Mark Hamill as the Joker, and whoever did the voice of the goose. Jeeps. <laughs> well, just whoever did the voice of the goose. <laughs> well, keep keep your eye out for uh, Dice Twenty Twenty, I guess, because they may just <laughs> fall off a cliff entirely <laughs> to irrelevancy. Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna. Well, I mean, I didn't watch it this year, so I'm not gonna. I'm going to continue to not watch it next year. And, yeah. and I'm going to be less interested in checking out the the results of that. I didn't even pay attention to what one Steam's Game of the Year thing that they do on, you know, that, that voting that they do every year. Yeah. Especially because it it's not limited to the games that came out that year. Right. So anything can win. Yeah, and that's that's the thing, too. Like, DICE is usually a prestigious award. It's not just, like... Some random site is giving doling out awards, and then we are getting riled up about it. Like you've you've heard the list of previous winners. Like it's I guess comparable to like the SAG awards for movies, um, and yeah, that's the, a good reason to be concerned. I, I, I yeah, I don't know. I've said you'd, my piece. You'd think, but no. Yeah, but but no. You you were wrong. So um, I wish I could help you. I frequently am. I'm so I'm sorry I can't. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. I I just I wanted to go over that. I it, the awards bother me more and more every year, and the dice ones have gotten no better. Yes, yeah, especially this year. I definitely the lull did not help anything. Like, I mean, it's gonna be like if if uh, Murder by Numbers takes Game of the Year over Cyberpunk next year. Like, that's sort of how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, that, yeah, it, it is probably a good game, but Cyberpunk? Well, I mean, it, it's not out yet. It's, there's still, no. there's still potential for it to be garbage. Don't. Don't even. Uh, shut up. <laughs> it, it, could uh, well, out, <laughs> it could come out. Only positive vibes to Poland. <laughs> <laughs> Give they, me they the de- game I need. They definitely need our support. <laughs> they, they do. They're basically all starving to death to make us this perfect game <laughs> i've seen their studio it's not futuristic at all no no and they've got no money they've had they've had very so poor perfect. sales on their whatever that last game was they made the walker 2 the yeah, walker 2 that one that's based off that netflix show 
Yeah. <laughs> Curse of the Walkers. <laughs> All right. You ready to uh, do do some little fireside chat here? Yeah. Hey, Andy. I, hey. How you feel? I'm, I'm good. Games with morality meters. How do you feel about them? I miss them. I miss them a lot. They were pretty prevalent for a while. And then, like, the morality meter went behind the scenes. Like, it just wasn't exposed. And then now it's just... Seems like it's completely gone. I guess it's nice to not just have binary meters that are like, well, you're you're either working your way to being a complete fucking evil prick, or you're literally Jesus coming down from heaven. Um, but I mean, a game like Outer Worlds did a really good job with that, where you got certain options based on like how much of a cunt you were and how like stupid you are, how smart you are. Stuff that you can't even see. Like, sometimes it's grayed out, right? But then other times it's completely hidden. Like, you don't even know there's some options unless you're dumb enough. Like, Outer Worlds, where you can do the thing with the sun for people who have played it. I'm not going to spoil it. Yep. (laughs) You can only see that option if you're stupid enough. Or if you, like, drink a ton of alcohol and then go up to this council and do the thing. Well, the thing with games like the Outer Worlds is has good writing mm-hmm. and clever story design where like it it's not like you had in you know and, and this is I'm sure a bit of sacrilege but like the Mass Effect games where your options were very black and white like there were there wasn't a lot of granularity in what was the renegade and paragon things it was like politely answer the question or punch them in the face <laughs> yeah thinking of a very specific scene in I think the first Mass Effect. Yeah, with the journalist. Yes. So, and <laughs> I Calls I think, her an insincere, insincere horror or something. Yeah, yes. An amazing scene. Very very memorable. Uh, but I, I think that's where they ended up going is a lot of them went in that direction of like, here is your binary moment and we're rewarding you basically if you go all one way or all the other. Yes. Whereas Outer Worlds, since it wasn't everything was kind of like within its own faction and storyline. So like you being an asshole overall, you could still choose to make good decisions at certain moments and not be bogged down by the fact that you were an asshole to another person in a cave on a planet 30 light years away. Yeah. I I think the whole industry is evolving. Um, We, I talked about life is strange and how there's, essentially five different endings there's seven different ending cinematics but there's five different endings and you don't really know if you're the good guy or the bad guy because it's a game where you're basically raising your younger brother and you're a 16 year old so you don't know what the good option is or what the bad option is you're just trying to do right by this younger child and it's not until the end of the game where the game basically rates you and is like oh this is this is the like cynical, like maniacal ending or like you did your best. And this is like the sad, but you know, gratifying ending. So I, I think games are getting smarter with it. I don't know if the mass effect way of doing things where it's like, Oh, you're the, you're blue because you're a good guy or you're red because you're the bad guy is going to fly much. I I don't think people will think back to even like Bioshock as great of a game as that was like if you didn't go all harvest or all save on the little sisters you were just gimping yourself yeah exactly you you always get huge buffs for doing that yeah same with uh, the what the hell is it the KOTOR games 
Yeah. Like you, if you try to stay somewhere, like go all light or all dark, otherwise you're just, your build is broken and you will never be successful in this game. Mm-hmm. Did you ever play or hear of the Emily is Away games? Um, I think I heard of them. Wasn't that the, the one that was built for charity or something? Uh, that I don't know. Um, this is, it takes place entirely within an AIM chat client. Oh, I think I'm thinking of something else. But anyway, go on. Uh, and it kind of has its own, I mean, I guess it's just a branching story, but because the, the choices you make are kind of morality based, like it feels like you're making morality decisions. But mm-hmm. the, the thing that I like about it is that it's, it's not clear often whether you're making the clearly good or bad decision. And it's also, it puts you in positions where it would make sense that your character would make a snap decision rashly. Yeah. Right. Or like, like you're intentionally reacting to something and someone's wanting a response out of you right now and you're, you're doing your best, but you just don't have enough information. Yeah. So it's not like laying to, it's not laying the red and blue pill in front of you. It's just, hey, look, <laughs> here's the situation. What do you want to do? And you make a decision and it's, oh shit, that didn't really work out. And some people might be mad at me. Some people might not be, but you know, yeah. I, I feel like I made the, the choice that best made sense with my character on the information I had rather than I need to keep myself at max or min alignment or morality. Otherwise right. this game is unplayable. And and that sort of game has like a much better payoff because you really, you, you can't predict what the ending is going to be like mass effect. It's like shoot the guy in the head or spare the guy's life because <laughs> you do believe in second chances. It's like always choices like that. And later sometimes you get like twist, twist endings to those plot lines like the guy comes back and he's like surprise i'm still a dick and i have a gang behind me and we're gonna try and kill you and then you get into a fight scene or surprise i'm completely repentant now and i'm here to help the war effort or you get stuff like like deus ex um mankind divided was it where at the end it was just like do you want to be the good guy or the bad guy press a button on the ending tron five million (laughs) and see which one you see what happens yeah Oh, Do happy you, ending. How, what a surprise. <laughs> what a surprise. You pushed the happy ending button. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we've moved beyond that for sure. Thankfully. And I Thankfully. think I, I would love to see that kind of morality meter come back because I, I like morally ambiguous characters or like games where if you're going to give me the uh, uh, option of making choices, I can actually make them. Yeah. And not just like determining how much of an asshole I want to be, but, like, do I want to make the right choice here? Do I want to make an interesting choice? Yeah, I think games can reward, like, the more conflicted characters, too, in different ways. Because, like you said, like, a a game like KOTOR, where it's like, I I made one bad decision, and I liked it, I'm gonna, like, keep doing this is one thing, but I made one bad decision, and I'm already on the path to getting, like, this special ability because I'm evil. Like, that's a completely different (laughs) thing. Yeah, that's it's tough, and I, but I'm glad more games are better equipped to deal with it now. Yeah, for sure, and it's just better writers in the game industry now too. But take yeah. the industry seriously, and take the writing seriously. Actually, want to yeah. write a story that's worth telling and and has some depth of character to it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Leaps and bounds from the fucking PS1, PS2 era. All right, you want to move on to our our games this week? Uh, our showcase? No, no? okay. All right, well, that was Game Off 25, everyone. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. 
Okay, fine. Uh, what what, what are we talking about this week? Uh, I think you were going to talk about one of these... I've heard of them. Pokemon? Po- Pokemans? Pokemans. Pokemans, as my grandmother always calls it, and mm-hmm. now I do too, ironically, to piss off my peers. Pokemon Shield is the version I played, but I, there's, as far as I know, there's not many differences. A lot like all the Pokemon games you played growing up. So they're still running with that scam. <laughs> yes, yes. I, you could certainly call it a scam. I would, and I will. <laughs> okay. I mean, I won't. I won't disagree. Um, po- Pokemon Shield or po- Pokemon Both. Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Pokemon Weapons is about <laughs> a, a young boy who sets off on a journey to become Pokemon Master. Have you heard of this game before? Okay, so I remember a show in the '90s where these guys had digital monsters um, and they would digivolve into things. Is that what this is? Yes, it's okay. Poke, Poke Digimon. Okay, awesome. <laughs> so, if you played literally any Pokemon game, then you are familiar with the story, so I'm not going to waste any time on that. Am I also familiar with all the mechanics? Uh, if you played any Pokemon <laughs> game, you'll be familiar with all the mechanics. Um <laughs> <laughs> there, except for the curry decks, which is awful because it requires you to fan a flame and then stir a pot for way too long a time. Wait, wait! wait. I, I thought I misheard. Like curry is in like, like curry powder. Okay, curry like curry put in okay. your mouth. Yeah, um, I, I, as far as I know, that's one of the few new features to the game, and I, the reason it came to mind is because it's most of the other changes are just quality of life changes. So, like, there's, in the Pokedex, there's things that'll recommend where you can hunt your next Pokemon. I shouldn't say hunt, capture. <laughs> you're not you're not a murderer. No. Um, but uh, it's just a lot of quality of life changes. Honestly, not many of them are worth noting. I think maybe the most notable one is the, uh, what is it called? It's like the Wild Zone. That's what it's called. Severing the entire continent is this thing called the Wild Zone. And basically, you can just go there and capture a ton of Pokemon, and it's just this huge open world. Outside of that, it looks a lot like any other Pokemon games. It's open world, but it follows along two paths, so it's not like you're roaming around and exploring very much. It's like, oh, I I went down Route 10, and I can go on Path A or Path B, and Path A has a Pokeball on it, and Path B is the path I go for the rest of my journey. That's very much the layout of the entire map outside the Wild Zone. And the Wild Zone's not exactly, like, genius design either. It's just a giant zone with different biomes, and you cross certain path, like, threshold, and suddenly the weather changes, or there's more water there or something, or it's snowing for some reason, even though five feet away it's sunny. It's, it's a little bit jarring, but... Does it, does it still remind you after every turn that it's still raining? Yes, yes, it does. It's cool. Frustrating. Cool. So they've um, learned. They've learned nothing. Not really. There's there's a few quality of life improvements hidden in the options, like how it, you can set it so that it doesn't fucking ask you to switch out your Pokemon every single time you kill a Pokemon. Turn that off real quick. I'd rather just take some extra damage if I'm switching Pokemon than be asked every fucking time. <laughs> anyway, um, a, a few generations back though. It, they introduced a, the uh, fuck what was it called? They don't they don't have a name for it anymore. It, exp share, where oh yeah, 
EXP share is what they used to call it. It's just baked in now. But basically, you can have your main Pokemon out and all the other Pokemon get like 50% of the XP, roughly. There's an algorithm based on the level that they are. So essentially, you never need to switch out your first Pokemon. And that's how I played this game and the last game and the results were the exact same you can play with the same pokemon you can get him to like a god level where he just dumpsters everyone else and then the last five slots of your pokemon are just for evolving like the cattle that they are and filling out your pokedex good uh, awesome and that's honestly the easiest way to play the game and it's sort of just how i play games like i, I find the path of least resistance and i just go at it and uh part of me does that because pokemon has already baked it into me that i gotta catch them all right and so i'm trying to catch them all but there's 400 puck and pokemon plus in this game there's 800 total so that means with the 400 baked into the base game they're also going to include i mean i don't know i don't know how many they didn't say but they're going to include more in the dlc for the game so, needless to say, it's a bit of a daunting task to gotta catch them all, and like the tagline says, you can't just just catch them all if you want. No, you you, you, you gotta have to. catch them all. You gotta. You have to. It's like part of the contract when you buy the game. So, so to to gotta catch them all, you have to <laughs> fucking sort of jank up the game a bit. So I just have like little fucking bug Pokemon filling up the rest of my roster, and God forbid my Pokemon dies, which it won't ever do because the game's not hard. But if my first Pokemon <laughs> died, it would just be like a level 12 fucking Butterfree or something coming out, which is a bad example because that's already the max evolution for Butterfree. Not to get too into the weeds. <laughs> no, no, it's it's good. It's good. It, what I like about it is that it... Because uh, I haven't played it, but I did talk to some people who did, and I did read up on it a little bit. And this is exactly the same conversation I had with people in a lot of ways about Let's Go uh, Pikachu and Eevee a lot yeah. of these same problems that you're describing it's it, let's go pikachu is what i played obviously the same game but i it, it felt like a test bed for a lot of what they were doing for pokemon weapons mm -hmm. um and it didn't seem like they learned from any of the worst parts of those games because i didn't really enjoy that those games at all it was it felt like a nostalgia mine and it was like oh i remember this it's sort of wild to see this in 3d this game's not fun, though. So, that's... You know, I, th that. I think the problem with... The problem with Let's Go and the problem with a lot of those is... Let's Go, I think, was almost a bad idea on their part to make. Because it it proved what the dungeon... Uh, the Dragon Quest and Monster Hunter series have been trying to do here and there. Is that there's a lot of interesting things you can do with this game concept if you fucking oh, yeah. bothered. If, if you bothered. Yeah. And that's one of the more... It's somehow one of the more commendable and one of the things they need to be fucking cat and nine-tailed in the back for, and that's a slight Pokemon reference, is that they're not evolving the franchise. <laughs> I've played every single Pokemon game except for maybe Sun and Moon. I skipped one generation in the last 30 or 25 years. You wouldn't have noticed... <laughs> and honestly if you skipped from pokemon red and blue to this one and then maybe this is part of why they do it you would you'd barely get any whiplash nothing would be weird about it you would walk out and you'd be like wow pokemon's pretty nowadays wow i remember how to do everything here i have four spells i have 
welfare abilities, whatever you want to call them. It's it's a game that desperately needs to evolve because it becomes more and more boring every time I play it, and only Let's Go and this one are the only Pokemon games that I've finally just given up, and I've just been I don't I don't need to beat this. <laughs> I've done this. I've you done this maybe twenty times. Have you heard anything about Temtem? There's a, there's a little bit of coverage about it, and I am curious about it, but I've I've heard the whole you know Pokemon knockoff spiel before, and when something's you know branded as a knockoff, it doesn't usually turn out that good or have any staying power. I think like Let's Go, like the Monster Hunter game, I can't remember the name of where you can ride around with your guy and it's basically Pokemon. Like the Dragon Quest Joker, Dragon Quest Monsters, uh, what they were called, Dragon Quest yes, Monsters yeah. games. Those like, are old. Yeah, oh yeah, those are the old back in the DS. Um, but you know, it, it shows that there's there's room to grow, and I think it's because Temtem is trying to be, and I, I hope it gets a full release this year because uh, in 2020 because I'd love to to talk about it here in more detail. Yeah. But like one of the things it does is to heal your creatures is it, just a little thing that you interact with outside of a building. You don't have to go in, talk to the person, see the same four lines of text, watch them load the machine, hear the song, unload it, be told that you hope to see you again, walk back. Like, that's not fun. Yeah, That's fun 20 years ago in red or silver. Yeah. You know what they did evolve about that? What's that? Nothing. But they put the Pokemart in the Pokemon Center. See, But otherwise, it's the exact same concept. But that's at it, least something. It's, like, it's something. The It shocks me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you still walk up, you find a Pokemon in the weed, or a, a Pokeball in the weeds, you walk up to it, there, interact, walk up to it, push the button, you found a full heal, put full heal in the medicine pouch of your bag. Like mm-hmm. any other fucking game, you'd walk over it, and it would just tell you in a corner, a little pop-up, full heal. Yep, just, just bling. Yeah, it's there. Yeah. It's like why, a feed on the side of the fucking screen, yeah. Why do they insist on this archaic design? Yeah. Yeah, having to bend... It, there's a full animation for bending over, picking something up. If it's a new item, it'll pop up the description, too. Like, I don't know what a fucking full heel does at this point. It's... It's infuriating. I think it was back in... Um, sa- not What was the Omega Sapphire? Whatever one had the, the whale on the front. Uh... Yes, Omega Sapphire. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that was the last one I played, other than Let's Go. And I think that was the first one I remember where you finally could tell the game, I know how to catch Pokemon, thank you. <laughs> yeah, finally. <laughs> 15 years into being a global phenomenon. I, I get that you want to have a, have a tutorial in there, and that's great. But just like the, have you caught a Pokemon before? Would you like me to show you? No? Okay, yeah. I'll show you. Or yes, okay, fine. Go on your merry way. Have a good time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this game does have that too, but again, like it's, it's only saving you, you know, a couple minutes compared to how much time the game does waste in other ways. Yeah, the the fact that I watched some gameplay videos and it's still like they tell you the name of the thing that the the, the move that Pokemon did, then they show you the animation, then they tell yeah. you if it was a critical hit. Like it's you could do all that at the same time. Yes. Oh my god, do- the the attacks that do like the, the two to five hits, it still is like, bam, it hit for this much damage. Bam, it hit. Bam, that was a critical hit. Like, it's crazy how long those attacks take. 
it's just such padding and i don't even think it's intentional padding yeah it's it's just like it, remember back in when, when i was talking about shenmue 3 and talked about him mm. having you know um i can't remember the, the developer's name I now see. yeah but him having basically lived in a world where he hadn't played a single game since shenmue 2 came out like, yeah, it yeah. feels like the people making <laughs> Pokemon have never played any other of this style of RPG or team-based yeah. game. Like they've never seen how much faster those interactions can go and how much <laughs> better that can be laid out. Developing this in 2005 and <laughs> just been doing other stuff. Yeah, like it's they somehow like permanently wrote those parts of the code in. It, they're <laughs> untouchable. It's it's just baked into them so much that you can't possibly <laughs> take it out. It's, it's so close source that they can't even develop for. <laughs> they made the engine once, they locked it down, and now <laughs> they, just have, to, with they again. just have to live with it. They have to use that battle system. <laughs> so, yeah. the were you very upset about Dexit? I mean, obviously, I obviously was upset that Tangela wasn't in there, but other than that, um, you know, did, did you feel the, the loss of all those classics? There's, there's such an overwhelming amount of Pokemon that you don't notice when you're playing the game. Like, you telling me Tangelo isn't in it, uh, and I assume you're lying that you care. I, I, I mean, it's one of my three favorite Pokemon, so... Oh, okay. Well, anyway. <laughs> We're not going to dive into that. <laughs> we don't have time to unpack what the, that. What that, what that speaks about your character. <laughs> um, but no, I, I honestly... Other than Tangela, I couldn't tell you what Pokemon are missing because they're you're so inundated with Pokemon constantly that there's there's no way to tell unless you're a walking encyclopedia of Pokemon, honestly. Yeah, I mean I just I was I'm literally looking at the big grid that someone made of all the Pokemon that are and are not included. Yeah. And I as you were talking, I quickly scanned over like right, is is Tangela actually in there? <laughs> I, I wanna make this joke, but I I gotta confirm. Yeah. <laughs> that Pokemon was cut first, Andy. It was just... Well, they, they, they weren't even at the point where they needed extra room. There's, uh, we all agree that Tangela is not going to be in this, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> God. Yeah, I don't, I don't think my favorite Pokemon's in it, because I haven't seen it yet, but it might be. But uh, it's Staraptor. Oh. It's bird Pokemon. Yeah, th this list is just organized as a big grid. So oh, very I, handy. And, and it's also not very high res, so I can't quite tell... Is it at least color-coded by type? It's color-coded by whether or not they were... Because it, it's in it's in National Dex order. Oh, so Jesus Christ. I have to There's look. over 800 Pokemon. That I know. I, I know. So I'd have to remember what generation the one you mentioned is, and then find the starters for that generation so I can, like, orient myself to where what section of this grid I should be looking at. Yeah, I mean, I, I also definitely feel like they don't need to add as many Pokemon as they do every generation. Nah. Like, I, think, I think they've just sort of assumed that it's expected of them, but adding, like, 80 to 150 more... I don't think they've added 150 since the original, but... Like seventy-five to a hundred and ten, I think maybe. Like that's that's too much. Like we're at, we're literally at like eight hundred and forty Pokemon now. It's too goddamn much. Like what? there's a reason they don't they stopped using "gotta catch them all" as one of their catchphrases in two thousand three. It's because they realized that it would be a foolish pursuit to do it. Yeah, I mean, even though they still sell two copies of the game, so they clearly want you to try and catch them all because yeah. of the scam that they run. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I, I don't. 
I would have loved to see, and maybe someday they'll be brave enough to do it, because they paint themselves into this corner. They could just make a Pokemon game with its own closed set of Pokemon. Yeah. And just like, you can't bring over Pokemon from the previous game. And they, they tried to do that with, I think, black and white, where you couldn't catch any old Pokemon until you beat the game with the new Pokemon. And it was interesting, but then as soon as you beat the game, it's like, okay, cool, now you have 300-plus Pokemon to catch. You, you bored? Oh, but you see, if you, if you still carry those over, then you have to balance everything against the, uh, the possibility that someone is carrying over a fucking Dratini from 20 years ago. Yeah. Like... If you just if you just have a close like look you're going off to some other island whatever the Pokemon equivalent of Australia is, and they can't have another ecological disaster where people bring in foreign plants and animals. So yeah, you just <laughs> here it is. These are the Pokemon that you have. You can't take them out of the country and you can't bring other ones in. It's a different game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've they've made all the Pokemon like absolute madness. If you get like egg moves or like special Pokemon and then breed them, because like ten year, ten or fifteen years ago they had a surfing Pikachu Pokemon card, and now Pikachu can learn fucking surf. I don't know, like what happened there? <laughs> Why did you think that was a good idea? Because yeah. you do, you're gonna need to support that fucking ad infinitum. So it's. It's it's foolish. <laughs> a yeah. lot of a lot of this entire franchise is foolish at this it, point. It's it's their own hubris. It they, really they is. could have stopped this at any time. Yeah. It's yeah. just it's like I'm literally asking, why are you hitting yourself? <laughs> why like, I'm I don't I'm not holding their wrists. I'm not making them do it. Yeah. Just why but, are you hitting yourself? <laughs> I <laughs> I should interject at some point that there are some positive changes oh, yeah. to the game. What, what was good? They're, again, they're mostly quality of life, though. The moves after you've registered the Pokemon and not necessarily caught them into your Pokedex, it'll tell you which moves are super effective or not very effective against them. Oh, that's nice. So you don't have to right keep on looking, the move looking it up, uh, uh, you know, having the, the decks open on your phone to remember, is this thing actually like Steel and Psychic or not? Yeah, because it looks like it's like, bird fairy type and it turns out to be like fucking steel dragon and you're like i don't understand what the <laughs> fuck um so yeah as long as you beat the pokemon once and it's in your pokedex to some degree it'll tell you iv pokemon uh which is a pretty you know not casual uh mechanic of the game but iv pokemon are easier to id you can get near near perfect or perfect iv pokemon um in the open world you'll see them walking around with a yellow glow um so that means that those pokemon are essentially stronger than the regular pokemon but they're also like 10 times harder to catch so if you see one even if you already have one like you can fight it and get a ton of different um xp and bonuses and stuff or if you catch it you'll have a near perfect iv pokemon if you want that in your pokedex I read somewhere that there was now, like, better ways of adjusting or fixing your Pokemon after you catch them. So you don't have to, like, keep catching the same bird Pokemon over and over again until you find the one that actually has the good, the best. And I can't remember what the term is for it. I, I want to say demeanor, but it's not demeanor. It's like, whether it's an angry Pokemon or a whatever the hell it was. Oh, they they've had that for a while. So depending on what their demeanor is, it'll be... You'll have to know what demeanors are good for which Pokemon, though, which doesn't help you much because you still have to pull up Bulbapedia and you fucking reverse engineer the whole thing. 
Um, but, but I thought I remember the, reading that there was some way to like correct there, for there that is, now. I don't know about correction, honestly. There's there's an IV reader in the game, so you can actually see what the IVs are um, instead of you know having to find like cross reference your stats online. But I don't know, so okay. that answers your question. Okay, there might be. There's there is a lot of weird stuff in the game that makes sort of end game more fun because a lot of people do take like Pokemon breeding and all that very seriously, so they try to do some things for them. I'll, um, I'll, I'll tell you, I remember when I found out about IVs, and I think it was while I was playing Pearl, and like halfway through, a friend of mine explained the whole concept, and then it just being so frustrating to me because it was like, oh, so I've ever done everything wrong up to this point. Because yeah. the ones I have now are, like, kind of garbage. And you've yeah. just explained how to min-max this game to me 15 hours in. <laughs> so so I shouldn't have been one-shotting all the fighting Pokemon with my psychic Pokemon, because that makes my psychic Pokemon a better fighting Pokemon? What the <laughs> fuck? What the fuck did you just say? It's, yeah, it's, it's kind of a garbage hole. Um, one that I've never been interested in going down, because it's just so fucking tedious. But it does clearly reward those who are patient enough and saintly enough to do the work. There's there's also uh, gigant, Gigantamaxing, Gigantamaxing in the game, which is where the Pokemon get really big, and that's special to this region of Pokemon for some arbitrary reasons. But it's actually kind of fun because they don't overuse it. In the wild area, you can do raids, and the raids are always against gigant, Gigantamax, however fuck you pronounce it, uh, Pokemon. But also you can Gigantamax in uh, gym leader fights and in the Pokemon League but you can only do it once and it's for like three rounds and your abilities are basically all the same so it's not like a really deep mechanic but it, it makes it so that you sort of have this like cool thing you can do for a couple turns um, and it has really unique effects like my water Pokemon had like it gets like because he had a normal ability and a water ability gets like max water or max normal and those both do special things for the remainder of the fight um and the raids are kind of fun too you can do them with like up to three other people so four total people and they done pretty well going into the game i thought it was going to be the dumbest mechanic in the game but it turned out that like pokemon itself was the dumbest mechanic <laughs> and they actually tried pokemon was the dumbest mechanic all along yeah. <laughs> Not the friends along the way we met. No, no, um, it was Pokemon. <laughs> and, yeah, there's there's actually a cool mine level in the game, for once. They're always, I bet you're really used to dark, dingy caves where you have to, you know, find a light source or something stupid. Yep. Uh, the, there's a mine level in this game where it's mostly, like, gemstones, and it's really bright, and it's very, very nice. So, did they retain the being able to see Pokemon when you're walking around from Let's Go? Or is that only in the wild area? No, unless I just missed that setting entirely. But there definitely wasn't, like, an overt thing or, at, or a tutorial at the beginning that was like, Oh, hey, pick your Pokemon to follow. Because in Let's Go, you can have any Pokemon follow you, including oh, or... No, including I, I was thinking, like, where you can see the, po the wild Pokemon walking around in the wild in front of you. Oh, Yes. Okay. Yes, that's one hundred percent in the game. That's okay. a big, big part of the game. Okay. That's good, how you good. see those yellow auras around the IV Pokemon. Okay. Good. All right. I I wasn't sure if that was just in the wild area or if that was everywhere. No. 
that's everywhere, but you also still do have random Pokemon, and the random Pokemon are generally the more rare ones, so you still sort of have to do that. The rarer Pokemon can still appear in person, but again, it's rarer to see them, but it's less rare to see them randomly, if you catch my drift. So it's still worth it to do the random battles. But you can see where the random battles are going to take place, so you can avoid those anyway if you don't want them. So no real need for repel anymore, then? No, not really. If if I'm trying to avoid Pokemon, it's very, very rare where I'll still run into a Pokemon anyway. They're still repelling the game, but yeah, it's borderline useless. Did they? Um, how, how are the catch combos working this time around? Catch combos? You know, like the thing that you, if you, in Let's Go, if you caught 27 Pidgeys oh, in a row. I don't think that exists in this game i don't know it doesn't announce it if you do unless it you have to get to a certain number because again i'm trying to gotta catch them all so i basically catch one pokemon and then avoid it for the rest of the time so there there might be because i think in let's go you have to catch like three or four before it starts the counter like visibly right so answer is i don't know okay because i i just remember i i heard um following uh the what's her name uh laura kate dale on her quest to get every shiny and yeah and just her descriptions of shiny hunting in various pokemon games and the different mechanics that go into it and wasn't sure if you had done anything like that in this one no no i did just again overwhelming like there's already so many deep hard to work mechanics in the game that like even if you got a shiny Pokemon, it might not have good IVs, so you wouldn't use it in like endgame content. Of course. So you gotta farm out shiny Pokemon, which you is get a perfect just shiny Pokemon. For a perfect which is just it's it just feels futile, man. <laughs> like I, I look at that stuff and I'm like, Well, I'm gonna go do drugs, I guess. That seems way easier. <laughs> so overall, would you recommend it? <sighs> if you've never played a Pokemon game, I could recommend it. It's it's got all the charms and the Pokemon, but for people who thought like me that this would be a really interesting ad- adaptation, not adaptation, uh, evolution of the franchise, it is not that. It they, is they showed you. It is another Pokemon. It has it has th- all the 3D mechanics. You can move in like full radial. It's not it's not you know move up move to left right down anymore it's it's little more than that though (laughs) it might as well be um it it again it does have some beneficial quality of life improvements um and but the whole game still feels very slow i don't think it's really for adults anymore they did they haven't tried to adapt it for adults at all Uh, so yeah Kids, people that have never played Pokemon, it's still a perfectly acceptable entry, but overall, I wouldn't recommend it to like a friend of mine who's played just as many Pokemon games as me. I'd say, just wait, hope for the best next generation. All right. So, a, a solid eh. Solid eh. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Cool. Phoenix Point. What's up with that game? Well, uh, you know... Before we get into it, I just want to say very quickly that I try really hard to find and play games that I'm going to enjoy. I don't want to only talk about <laughs> games that I don't like. I want I wanted so badly to like Phoenix Point. 
so badly. And you did. <laughs> Back in 1995, we're going to take a trip <laughs> through time here. Because I, I just want to I, I want to <laughs> set the stage for this. Two years before Pokemans came out. Two years before Pokemans came out. Back in 1995, I got as a gift from my Aunt Anna a copy of XCOM UFO Defense. Or UFO Enemy Unknown, depending on what side of the Atlantic Ocean you live on. I got it on three and a quarter inch floppies with a little manual that had the little... Uh, back when they used to do the copy protection where they had the little codes written on the page of the manual. And the game would start up and say, like, type in the code on page 37 to prove that you own the game. I played the shit out of that game. I loved it, loved it, loved it so much. And then one day my mom threw away the manual and I couldn't play it anymore. <laughs> oh, it was brutal, brutal. And at some point in the early 2000s, maybe 2001, 2002, after Hasbro had acquired Microprose, they republished all of the early XCOM games on a, on a CD set. It was like a two or three CD set. And I, I bought that because I, hey, here was my chance to play XCOM again. And I played the shit out of it then. And I played it for ages and ages and ages. And occasionally I'd run into someone else who had played XCOM. And it was one of those things where, like, once you realized that they'd, you'd both played it, you had thousands of things to talk about and stories to share. Because XCOM <laughs> was this amazing game of organic storytelling. Mm -hmm. And that's, you, if you read any of the articles, because XCOM for a long time was listed as, like, one of the best PC games of all time, one of the best games of all time. And they all talk about the depth of strategy and the organic storytelling that came out of this very open and just kind of do whatever weird shit you want to do in these tactical battles. Set buildings. <laughs> you you could go into these terrorist attack or terrorist, uh, alien terrorist sites, that's what they're called. And you could go when there's aliens are terrorizing a city and you could try to take them out or you could take the route of just burning the entire city down. Because then there was no cover for aliens to hide behind. And yeah, sometimes civilians would die, but you got all the aliens. And that was just a viable tactic. It was great. Phenomenal series. And then XCOM basically just, you know, for about a decade is dead. Completely dead. And during that time, a bunch of games cropped up from independent developers to try and fill the gap. There was this one out of uh, one of the... Polish game studios, the ones that do like the the double A or single A budget games. You know what I'm talking about? Those kind of um, I can't think of any off the top of my head right now, but like you'd buy them for 15, 20 bucks when they came out and they were okay. Yeah. Um, there were a couple of indie ones. Sid like, Meier's Pirates. Yeah, Sid Meier's. Oh, shut up. Sid Meier's Pirates is so good. <laughs> you take that back right now. I, I bought the game at Big Lots. I, anyway. <laughs> I love Sid Meier's Pirates. Um, but those studios made... Uh, an XCOM series uh, there was a, uh, a game called UFO 2000 which was like a, like a fan made thing and there was this game called Xenonauts that was supposed to be a we're, we're not just we're not trying to remake XCOM from scratch we're trying to make it basically the same but learning from the mistakes so the stuff that irritated you about the original XCOM just in as far as its UI or the weird some weird decisions they made with how things were calculated we're going to fix yeah. that and we're going to make the plane-to-plane the, the -plane -plane combat a little bit more intuitive. And that was all really exciting. And then in 2013, Fire Axis announces they're making an XCOM game. And that's the one that's called XCOM Enemy Within. And, I'm sorry, XCOM Enemy Unknown Enemy Within was an expansion mm -hmm. in 2013. In 2012. What was Fire known for before that? The, they were doing the Civ games. That's right. They did Big games. Yes. Very popular. And had a good pedigree for turn-based strategy. 
Mm-hmm. So it made sense. And they put out XCOM Enemy Unknown. And XCOM Enemy Unknown took all of the great things about XCOM, the the parts of it that, that you most remembered, the tactical gameplay, the ability to... to and, and really encouraging you to name your soldiers after people you knew or give them names... Like everyone I know who played XCOM in the '90s had at one point played where they'd named their entire team after the crew from Aliens and Aliens Two, you know, just <laughs> little things like that that were kind of the you know you do and you'd get this connection to them, and they took all of the the major beats and they made a great revival. It wasn't a yeah. remastering; it was a it was a reboot that by people who clearly understood what was great about the original game and wanted to capture it, and it was phenomenal. XCOM Enemy Unknown. Enemy Within, XCOM 2, War, XCOM 2, War of the Chosen, all great games. I bought them all. I played the shit out of all of them. Uh, Xenonauts eventually came out. It came out after Enemy Unknown was released, so it kind of came out after the world had already gotten a new XCOM game, and it was no yeah. longer necessary. It's a good game. It's fun. But the, 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 the XCOM concept had moved on. Yeah. So all of this is to say is to kind of set the stage for Phoenix Point coming out, which is being made by Julian Gollop, the original designer of XCOM, and the guy who created this whole type of game and genre of tactical with some base building and various missions and very open-ended. And in a recurring theme, it kind of feels like he didn't play any of the XCOM games that Firaxis made. (laughs) And kind of feels like he didn't try to learn from the changes they made and see... Why would he? They're his games. Right. They're his games. Who who better than him to know how to evolve the series? And how to forget a lot of the things that were... Phoenix Point is is a big whiff. It's a a big miss for me, unfortunately. And it's it's a big miss because XCOM Enemy Unknown already happened eight years ago and hit it out of the park and yeah. showed exactly so, what, how an evolved new XCOM game could be. And then Phoenix point just takes it back to its roots in all the ways it didn't need to. Yeah. So what, what did it do to evolve the genre? And if not, if you can't <laughs> think of any example examples, what did it do to bring it back to the old days? It, it, it definitely... So, one of the big things that added... And I, I should probably explain what this is in case people aren't familiar with this series. The general premise of an XCOM game is that you are running an organization that is defending the world against some kind of alien threat. You start off with a base, and you are looking at the world, or some part of the world, and waiting for UFOs or some threat to come in, and you intercept it with a, with a ship, shoot it down, and then you send a squad of guys to go on the ground in a tactical turn-based battle to explore the, sh- the shot-down alien craft and learn more about the threat. And so every time you shoot down and, and engage one of these things, you learn something. You learn more about them. You learn more about their weapons, about the types of aliens they are. You get more research things that you can research and eventually get those alien weapons and technology for yourself. And Mm -hmm. as all that's going on, the threat escalates and more ships are coming in. They start taking over cities. They start building their own bases and you have to escalate your own response to it. And that's, that's the balancing act of an XCOM game. It's 80% tactical turn-based stuff, 10% base building and 10% 
overworld map stuff. Yeah. And they, they give you a good idea of time to, like, you basically know when the world's going to end and you only have until then. Yes, you you have a very clear, you know, you know that you're running out of time. You know that there's, there's a feeling that you'll get where the game clearly outpaced your own advancement. And yeah. you're just like, all right, I did not build up fast enough. I, I focused too much on this. And there's no way for me to bring it back at this point. Yeah. I'm basically a dead man walking. And that's when you start the game over. Because <laughs> like a civilization game, a lot of the fun is in those that early 25 to 50% of a, of a, of a run. Is yep. when you're just barely scraping by. Yeah. Uh, oh, I didn't invest in any education. And now <laughs> I'm in the Stone Age still. Yep. <laughs> Everyone else has spaceships. <laughs> and I just finished building my like third granary. It's awesome. <laughs> and and that, that can happen a lot in an XCOM game. And this has some of that as well. You still have your research, you have your base building, you have your you know getting and recruiting and, and leveling and, and of soldiers. But it focused too much on not being XCOM enemy unknown. Like the original games, you had this idea of time units where your your yeah. unit would have like 50 of them that it could use a turn and doing an aimed shot would take 30 of them and moving a step would take five and reloading would take 12 so you, you had to balance it and it was a lot of in your head math and yeah stupid stuff like well, that it's a fairly simple math too so yeah it wasn't like <laughs> no no it wasn't overly complicated but it, it definitely was a a complicated system uh, or a a Comic and balancing act of getting the most you could out of each turn. When Fire Axis rebooted the series, they boiled it down to you can take two actions per turn. So you can move and shoot, you can shoot twice, you can shoot and reload, you can climb over something and shoot, but you get two actions per turn. And so it made for very. it, It made the combat flow faster because you could. You knew what you were doing. It wasn't a lot of like, okay, well, if I move him three spaces, then what do I... Okay, what if I move him four spaces? What if I move him... You know, like you have in some of the tactical games, or turn-based tactical games of really micromanaging each move. Fire Axis boiled that down. Phoenix Point dilutes everything back down to kind of where it was originally. You have... Each guy can move a certain distance and shoot, or move a little further and then have a more limited number of things that can they can do or move even further than that and have an even more limited number of things they can do. And it doesn't feel like it, it, it doesn't feel like it added for better strategy as much as just more micromanaging and overthinking of a move. Yeah. One of the things they added which I when I heard about it was an interesting idea was you can manually aim with your mouse. And so if the game doesn't recognize that you have line of sight, but you can move the mouse and you can actually take like a first-person perspective and aim and hit that part of a character's body, mm-hmm. then it lets you take the shot. Yeah, we, and that was supposed to be that one of the more selling, the bigger selling points of the game. Yes, and I think there may be some situations where it really, like that you could tactically go for a leg or a specific arm, but ni- much like Vats, 90% of the time, you go for the thing that has the greatest sh- chance of hitting with the most amount of damage. Mm-hmm. And in this, because if, if you, because the way they set up the combat, if you can aim the reticle, it, the shot will be made. You're going to yeah. make the shot. You just 90% of the time go for the most damage. So it doesn't really feel like 
it was a necessary addition. I don't feel like I'm getting a lot out of it. Because it's just, oh, okay, I guess I guess I can do that then. Well, it, it didn't really help. Which, that's good. Yeah, it was disappointing. I, I was really looking forward to that. Same with the the way that the characters are supposed to, the, the aliens are supposed to evolve, well, not aliens, the crab people or whatever the hell they are. Yeah, that was avoid. one of my questions, is what, what are the enemies in this game, if not aliens? There is a mist that turns people into crab people. Okay. Yep. I'm sure the story may, would do a better job of explaining it, but the general idea is that yeah, we've, that's fine. we've treated the, the environment very poorly, and now there is a mist that when it touches you, it turns you into crab people. And mm. there are three... Cautionary tale. Ca- yeah, it is a cautionary tale. Keep. I mean, and we already kind of learned learned this with Stephen King's The Mist, but <laughs> we we only thought that there were monsters in the mist. We never believed that we could be the monsters ourselves. So it, you know, it is an evolution in that way. Wait, was that was that a spoiler for the mist? <laughs> I guess spoilers for the mist, guys. <laughs> I didn't know. I thought there were monsters in that. Yeah, they're in the mist. I just said that. Yeah, but they're people? No, no, the joke I was making was that, that we never believed that we could be the monsters because, like, in, ju- in oh. this new game, the mist touches you and then you become a monster. That's, that's where I, I was going. I see. I see. I was trying not I, to spoil the... I thought you were ruining the, the cult classic, The Mist. <laughs> no, no. And actually, I, I always in my mind confuse The Mist with The Fog. I, you know, I don't know which one's which now that you say that. Well, this is fucked. <laughs> Well, I've anyway, sp- no spoilers here, boys. <laughs> I may or may not have spoiled either the mist or the fog. <laughs> You're gonna have to watch both movies to find out. Uh, so, in previous XCOM games, you were getting your funding from various countries in the world, and you had to kind of appease them. And you know, if you ignored the pleas of, you know, Spain for too long, they'd say like, "Hey, we're not gonna fund you anymore because 15 alien ships landed down. And you didn't do shit about it." And in this, there are three factions instead that are kind of trying to take power over after this this uh, cataclysmic destruction of the world. And they all have different ideas of how to handle the crab people. Yeah. Um, one of them wants to live alongside the crab people in, in harmony and basically just like build a wall that keeps the mist out. But like, hey, we could both live on this planet. Just you stay on your side of the wall. Um, the new Jericho people—I remember their names. They want to shoot everyone and shoot all the the, the crab people, and just say like, "Fuck them! Hmm. Let's just kill them all." I'm from Buenos Aires, and I say, or so I'm from New Jericho, and I say, "Kill them all." <laughs> Another Not timely reference. That. Not touching that at all. It's, it's it's Starship Troopers. Oh, I'm from Buenos okay. Aires, and I say, "You've ever seen Starship Troopers?" No, I what the fuck bad. are we doing? What are we doing? <laughs> oh, it's so good. Cancel. Last episode of Game Watch. <laughs> Until you watch Starship Troopers, it's so good. <laughs> Isn't that the one with the big bugs? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, it, did I just describe the whole plot? I mean, the, the, the overarching plot, yeah, but like the subtlety of it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's the one with big bugs in the same way that RoboCop is the one with the robot cop. Yeah, but that was the entirety of Robot Cop. Robocop. <laughs> Robot Cop also is a bit of a satire on <laughs> like it's not just 
about the robot cop. There's there's some. I mean, Paul Verhoeven's more than just a guy who made a movie about a robot cop. <laughs> sure, I, I had a robot cop toy growing up, but I've never <laughs> seen the movies. Oh my god, what are we doing? I saw the remake. That was bad. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. We, don't, we don't have to. Uh, we don't have to go over my shortcomings. No, this isn't shortcoming. This is this is this is an, um, an exciting moment of discovery for you. I would recommend <laughs> you watch uh, Starship Troopers. It's like my third favorite movie of all time. It's so good. Uh, you don't I'm have, have a strange weekend of films this weekend. <laughs> you sure are. My my coworker forced uh, Back to the Future on me when he found out that I'd never seen any of those. Mm-hmm. So I have a Blu-ray of that now, waiting to be watched. <laughs> I mean, that one's pretty good, too. I like Black Back to the Future. Between the two, I'd go for Starship Troopers, but I I just think that Casper Van Dien's hotter than Michael J. Fox. That's just me, though. Yeah, that's not a stretch. No, it's to not. To be fair. It's not. Anyway. <laughs> that, that was another fun episode of Movie Podcast. Let's <laughs> Movie off. Movie off. Right. So, yeah, I wasn't saying anything horribly xenophobic. I was quoting Starship Troopers. When I was That's talking about to, the new Jericho people. And then <laughs> you've got the religious cult, which believes that, like, God is punishing us with this mist, but also we can, like, hybridize ourselves with the crab people and evolve into a new exalted humanity. Oh, I played this game before. Yeah. It doesn't end well. <laughs> no, no, it does not. That, <laughs> but so you're trying to balance your... Um, you're trying to balance your standing with those three factions, and there are there are moments where you're kind of having uh, old style CRPG conversations, where you know the the big head in the center of the screen and four dialogue options at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to balance those three those three things, and as you do things to help one of them out, the other two get pissed off at you, and eventually you can mm. lose standing with one of them entirely, and to get access to their tech tree and their money and their people, you actually have to like go raid their bases, which is a cool idea. It's, it's a, there's a lot of cool ideas they added, but they're all just not fleshed out well enough and would have been better added to like fire Axis's XCOM three. Mm. Cause I just, I which... can't not compare it to XCOM by fire Axis. Yeah, I, I mean, that's completely fair. I mean, most of my questions were about XCOM, and you've already covered them. <laughs> so, my last question was, so should everyone just wait for XCOM 3? Yeah. And if so, do yes. you know when that's coming out? I don't. I don't know if and when it's coming out, but yes, 100% just wait for XCOM 3. I, well, I guess Phoenix Point is free on Xbox Game Pass, so that's a perfect yeah. way to try it out if you feel like it's a thing you want to do. Yeah, don't don't trust Andy. Try try it for yourself. Yeah, for free. Don't just for take free. my word for it. Go to your local Xbox library, get a copy of this, <laughs> try it out. Which you don't own, but close enough. Yeah. Um it's so good though. It's it's XCOM 2, the Fire Access games. Those are really good. You should play those. And those This are, might also be on Game Pass too. Yeah, those, <laughs> those have been out for I think the XCOM 2 and it's and the huge and that's I mean the expansions they did for those as well Enemy Within and the other one War of the Chosen were huge like total game conversion expansions yeah there were some real serious mechanics in that game like it definitely changed how you played it, it was great um Phoenix Point just isn't and I'm, I don't even want to get <laughs> into the whole thing with them being fig and then going on to epic game like I we've talked that stuff to death 
I don't. Yeah, I was gonna ask. This this feels like a kickstarted game. It definitely does, and it 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 feels like a kickstarted game in especially that it seems like a lot of time was spent on specific mechanics that didn't like the evolving aliens, which didn't mm. need to be there. You didn't need to have those evolving aliens. It didn't really add that much depth. You mean the the mist creatures? Yeah. The crab crab boys. Yes, I'm sorry. I keep calling them aliens because it's it's just XCOM. It's just XCOM, but not as good. But yes, the <laughs> the crab people. You didn't need to have the crab people that like evolve in a way where if it shows that you turtle a lot, they attack because it, it doesn't really evolve in that way. It's not really changing everything about it. So it just doesn't. It doesn't hit. It doesn't hit. So would you recommend it to anyone? If you're a huge fan of Julian Gollop's work or the XCOM, you're an XCOM completionist, check it out. If you, like me, played the XCOM email games, then maybe you want to go into this because you want to just have played all of the XCOM games. True completionist. Yeah, if you're a true completionist and you played the email games, you played the FPS, you played the, the, the flight sim game, go and check this out. Otherwise, don't. Yeah, I forgot those were a thing. Remember those? Yes, <laughs> yes, from the AOL days. Yeah, that's. I played it. I played it. I had one friend that that played it with me, and it it was kind of like multiplayer. It was kind of like a fun time. Kind of, kind of. You, know, it, you had that in common slightly at the same time. Yeah, it, it was like uh, it was like chess by mail. I guess would would feel. <laughs> <laughs> That's somehow even sadder, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the the, the old days. Uh, so yeah, no, don't recommend. <laughs> okay. Let's do some rankings. Yeah, yeah. Should we do last week's first? Because we fucked that up. We did. We did. What games did we talk about last week? Uh, I talked about Jedi Fallen Fallen Smarter. What did I talk about? I don't even remember oh, what game. On the spot. Game I played. It, it was after. Oh shit, dude! It was after Children of Morta. That's a problem. Uh, I'm going to have to look it up. <laughs> it, it was a couple weeks ago, to be fair. We had a, yeah. we had a little... We had, we had a little... Disco Elysium. Disco Elysium. Disco Elysium. Yeah, that's a great game. That was a good game. Great game. Didn't we talk about it in this episode? Uh, during the Dice Awards, yeah. I think we, we, we referenced it a couple times. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and the morality conversation. Yeah. You know, twice. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Andy. I know. It's, it's not... Disco Elysium. Where are you putting that? Ooh, that's a tough one. I think I would put Disco Elysium at... I, I think I would put it above Ion Fury. So I'm going to put it at number nine. Huh, that's a good spot for it. Yeah. I think it's top ten material. And how about uh, Last Jedi Order Academy... Whatever it was called. I'm going to put that at number 12. Uh, how about Phoenix Point? Phoenix Point. Uh, it's tough. I think Phoenix Point is going to go have to go down in the high 20s with like Void Bastards and John Wick Hex. Because it's, it's not as cynical as Division 2 or as like pig-headed as Shenmue 3. 
<laughs> like there's still there's still fun to be had here and, and it, it definitely feels like a game that was made in earnest and in good faith so I'm yeah. I'm gonna put it hmm, I'm gonna I'm gonna knock John Wick Hex down one and I'm gonna put this at number 27 okay and how about the game you talked about today which is Pokemon I remember now Pokemon yes Glad you're here for that one. I'm not going to be as generous. I'm going to put Pokemon at number 34. This is this is our last showcase of the 2019 year, right? Mm-hmm. Even though it's February. Yep. So why don't you do a full read-off for us, since I was the psychopath that did it last time. Okay, so I'm going to start from the bottom, work our way up. So at number 41, we've got Trover Saves the Universe, Division 2, followed by Shenmue, Three, Apex Legends, Death Stranding, Rage 2, and Wolfenstein Youngblood take us to 35. Pokemon Sword and Board takes it at 34, then Judgment, Crackdown 3, Far Cry New Dawn, and Void Bastards at 30. We got Anthem, John Wick Hex, Phoenix Point, Need for Speed Heat, Ring Fit Adventure, Remnant from the Ashes, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, Blasphemous, Borderlands 3, and then Surge 2 at 20. Indivisible at 19, uh, Beaten Out by Gears 5, Sinar Wild Hearts, Life is Strange 2, Luigi's Mansion 3 at 15, Children of Morta at 14, Shadowbringer is at 13, Jedi Academy Outcast of the Old Republic New Order <laughs> with the guy from Shameless at number 12. Number 11 oh. is Yoshi's Crafted World. Uh, at number 10, we've got Ion Fury, followed by 9, Disco Elysium. Eight is Link's Awakening. Seven is Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. Number six is Superland, Devil May Cry 5 at number five. Number four is The Outer Worlds. Number three is Control. Coming in at number two, we've got Kingdom Hearts 3. And in number one, Fire Emblem Three Houses. There are too many games with numbers in their name on this yeah, list. Yeah, that's true. I'm noticing I'm that as I'm shocked you didn't fumble on all of them. I do Casey Kasem cosplay on weekends, so I've got kind of a knack for this. <laughs> you truly are a good sport. That was a fantastic reading. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Happy to do it. And uh, next <laughs> week, we'll actually go through our Tournament of Champions and determine what the best game of 2019 was with math and science. And, mm-hmm. a, and a little science that you may no have heard No emotion of. whatsoever. No emotion. It's a little science you may have heard of called Bracketology. Look it up. <laughs> Now is yes. around the time of year that you're going to start hearing about it. We're getting close. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's going to be so timely yeah. for March Madness. Yeah. Yeah, shit. That's what's inspired this all, except for... Yeah, well, yeah, mostly. Yeah. Yeah, for the most part. It wasn't It wasn't during March Madness we came up with it, but... Yeah. Yeah, so between now and then, we'll decide how we want to do it, and then we'll set up the bracket and uh, have a full episode. Probably going to be a, a long one. Yeah. But we'll, we'll go through the whole thing, and we'll post on uh, some form of social media, either uh, at Game Off Podcast. Is that what it is? What's, it, what's our Twitter? Yep. Game Off Podcast? We'll, yep. we'll post it on there and some other Instagrams, um, the other ones, TikTok, Badoo. TikTok. <laughs> It'll just be us drawing the fucking <laughs> bracket out. What is TikTok, Andy? I, I don't, I don't Tell know. Tell us. I don't know. Is that is that the one We're that's... So old. Is that like Snapchat with music? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I've only seen it without music, but I don't play anything with music because I'm old. It's I, too loud. It startles me. 
Thanks for listening to Game Off Podcast number 25, everybody. It's been a Thanks, guys. crazy 25 episodes. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks. We can drive to rental cars now. <laughs> Yay. Did you just call them? I got it in. Did you call them rental cars? Rental car. Rental car. I can't help it. Check us anyway, out on social goodbye. media. Respond to us wherever you feel comfortable doing so. In whatever way you feel comfortable doing. We're, we're very understanding here. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Bye. bye.